The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think, feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hey brothers, welcome back to the Liberation Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Gargarides. I'm speaking to you from a beautifully sunny Los Angeles, California, and I hope wherever you are in the world that this recording is finding you exceptionally happy and healthy. Before we start the episode with uh, our wonderful guest, who's going to give us some powerful tips on communication, I want to share with you guys a new development that's happening with my work. So if you've been following any of my stuff over the past few months, you'll know that uh, I went through a very difficult period due to my divorce. And um, I can say in all honesty that I am totally over it now. It's been six months. I have never felt better. I've got an amazing new girlfriend and uh, I've learned the lessons I needed to learn. And that's largely in part because I was doing some very intensive work with my friend Rocco Jarman. So before I tell you what Rocco Jarman does and what he's going to be offering, I just want to share with you guys this story that um, my brother related. He, when we were younger, I think I was in my early 20s and he was in his late teens. He had been in an event somewhere and um, he met an old man that was seemed pretty cool and interesting and that was just dispensing some some life advice out to my brother. And one of the things he said to my brother was, kid, you've only got one life, so make sure it's first class all the way. And I remember that stuck with me, really made an impression on me. And I promised myself, no matter what, my life is going to be first class all the way. And, um, you know, there's this, this paradigm of, of looking at our lives as having three supporting pillars, which are health, wealth, and relationships. And generally, when you want to make improvements in your life, you have to focus on one or all three of those if, um, if you want your life to get better practically. And for me, six months ago, that relationship pillar of mine was just totally fucked for want of a better term. And uh, now that I look back at it, I'm so, so, so happy that things happened the way they did. I'm, I'm so relieved because I realized I was settling for a lot less than I should have with that relationship column. And it most certainly wasn't first class all the way. And I realized that this is the case with a lot of men is they settle for far less than they should have you know they well they should when it comes to relationships and the relationships in their lives are actually net negatives not net positives they don't get as much physical affection as they should they don't get as much sex as they should they don't get proper companionship they deal with a lot more bullshit than they should and there's several reasons for that very often it's their fault it's because they are not showing up as a powerful masculine presence for whatever reason and very often it's because they're undervaluing who they are and accepting far less than they deserve. And one of the reasons I can say today that I am so far away from the broken guy I was six months ago is because of the work that I did with Rocco, Rocco Jarman, who was one of our, as I said, previous guests on the show and, and has become a mentor of mine and a very, very close friend. Rocco has been running conscious relationship workshops in his home city of Perth, Australia for a couple of years now and um, he's been having great success with them and I understand why. 
the Rocco really has got the answers when it comes to this stuff. And so for the past six months, he's been coaching me through this and making me really look at myself and, and where I went wrong in that relationship and where I, my expectations were incorrect and how to become a better version of myself and attract the, the type of person I want in my life. And um, it's just been absolutely amazing. It's been amazing. And I said to Rocco, I want to share this with the with my audience and the people I care about and, and my clients and just everyone in my life. And so Rocco and I are putting together an online version of his conscious relationship workshop, which will be starting at the beginning of April, 2021. So at the time of broadcast of, of this episode, it's just under a month away. If you guys are interested in attending, please send an email to support at liberationmentor.com. And what I'll do is I'll book a call with you and we can discuss if it's, if it's the right thing for you and if it's going to help you. And um, more importantly, if you're going to be able to show up properly for it, because the space is radio limited. I'm not just saying that. And we don't want anyone on this course that's not wanting to master that aspect of their lives, not wanting to, to have an incredible relationship with an amazing woman. So if that is something that interests you, as I said, send an email to support at liberationmentor.com. And uh, I'll get back to you and we can, we can figure out if it's the right thing for you. Also, as always, guys, my best damn nootropic formula, BDNF, which I absolutely believe is the best nootropic formula on the market. And um, I know you guys will too when you try it. Remember, nootropics are vitamins for your brain that increase or improve cognition, increase verbal fluency, improve memory recall. They have mood-enhancing effects and a whole host of other benefits. Well, our best damn nootropic formula is available at my website, my company site, 100%. That's 100, then the word percent dot health. And if you add the coupon code at checkout, podcast15, you'll get 15% off any number of bottles that you order. This stuff is amazing. It really is amazing. I have been growing the brand out here in Los Angeles, giving them to people in my network. And um, the feedback is and these are some pretty powerful, influential people. And all I hear is, where can I get more? <laughs> where can I get more once I've handed them some, some free samples? But I guess you'll never know unless you try it for yourself. And uh, I guess at this point, if you guys have been listening to the show long enough, you know I'm a trustworthy person and I would never sell any crap or any junk or anything I didn't believe in. So if you're feeling a little bit sluggish, your brain's a little bit slower than you'd like it to be, you want a little bit of a pick-me-up that's non-addictive, Try the best damn nootropic formula. Head on over to 100%.health. Use the coupon code PODCAST15 at checkout. Also, last, on the last show, I told you guys my new book, Aligned, The Modern Man's Guide to Health, Wealth, and Freedom, is available for a limited time only for free at my website. If you go to liberationmentor.com forward slash book, you'll get a copy of it for free. Over 250 people have got that free copy since I sent the word out last week. As I said, this won't last forever. And uh, yeah, it's a great book. Again, the feedback's been really, really good. It's something I'm really proud of. And uh, it includes 20 of the tips and, and principles that I've picked up along, along the road during my, my 41 years of really trying to figure out this game called life and this path of being an authentic actualized man whilst playing this game so head on over to liberationmentor.com forward slash book to get a free copy of that okay guys without further ado let's listen to the latest guest a master of communication ivan evatovics enjoy 
Hey brothers, welcome back to Liberation Mental Podcast. I'm speaking to, I call him the wild man from Borneo. His real name is Ivan Ebatovich, and he's an expat from Hungary that lives in Borneo, Malaysia. Ivan, thanks so much for making the time to chat with me, brother. Thank you for having me. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, let, let's start from the beginning. So you grew up in Hungary um, during the period when it was a dictatorship, and I already find that fascinating because... One of the things that I have on my mind often, especially considering I'm living in the States and considering there's so many, you know, there's so much civil unrest and so many difficult things happening in the country at the moment is I think a lot of those things wouldn't happen if people just realized how good they have it here. You know, like people are complaining about a whole bunch of different stuff. And I feel like just saying to them, look, you've never been to a place that's truly oppressive or truly a dictatorship or that that really hasn't got civil liberties so I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what it was like to grow up in hungary at that time yeah sure and um yeah i really agree with you i think that one of the advantages of growing up in a dictatorship is that you start appreciating freedom and human rights way more than than people who, who are kind of taking it for granted you know mm-hmm. so hungary became a communist dictatorship um right after world war ii you know, we were, quote unquote, liberated by the Soviets from the Nazis, which was really nice of them to do. Uh, the only problem was that they decided to stay. And not only did they stay, uh, they also imposed uh, one party communist dictatorship and, you know, all the terrible things that, that actually come with that. So I was born um, in the middle of the 70s and kind of growing up in the 80s and, and early 90s. Communism ended in 1989. You know, that was the the fall of the Berlin Wall. So I was I was at the at, at the tail end. But what was unique about my situation is that actually my family, my grandparents, they suffered a lot because of communism. For instance, my my grandfather, he was a wealthy businessman, and you know, in in, in communism, uh, that was a sin, and uh, everything was taken away from him. So imagine a situation where you you know you live a, a good life. The government comes and they take away everything, your land, your property, and, and, and you become a pauper from one day to another. Also, my father, um, because of his bourgeoisie background, you know, um, being a bourgeoisie, meaning middle class, was the worst thing possible. My dad, he applied to something like eight universities, and he was rejected from all of them, not based on merit, but based on class, because he was not from the working classes. So very early on, the unique situation was that my dad was was an ardent anti-communist. So it was a strange, strange situation. Um, outwardly, I had to confirm to communism, you know, and I had mm-hmm. to pretend that that I am with the system. But at home, um, I got I got the real lowdown, you know. One one funny situation comes to mind. You know, one of the initiation ceremonies of communism was. In about primary school, I think maybe maybe year eight, you became what is called a red pioneer. So what that means is, is is think about you know Boy Scout you know mixed with Marxism basically, right? So and and it was a huge thing, and it was a big shame if you didn't become a red pioneer. So anyway, I was getting ready for the celebration, uh, you know, putting on my uniform. My I had this little red scarf. And my dad calls me to his room and he says, look, son, um, you know, all this stuff you're about to do is, is just complete nonsense. It's bullshit. And I'm like, what? 
it was like, you know, it, it was supposed to be like a happy day, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there my dad tells me that, look, you know, these guys are corrupt and, and they take away our rights. So it was really funny. As I was about to leave the apartment, my mom goes, son, listen, whatever your dad said to you just now, that's a secret. If you say that to anyone, we can end up in jail. So what did I do when I returned to school? I was like, hey, guys, guess what? Communism sucks. And I gave a bit of a mini lecture about the evils of communism. Now, luckily, we didn't end up in a prison, you know, but that was, I remember, one of the earliest times when I realized that we that we lived in a broken system that, you know, that was basically not serving the people. Sure. I mean, it, it just reminds me of one of the freedoms we have here in America is freedom of speech, you know, and, and a lot of people now are starting to challenge that because they basically, what they're saying is, yeah, you can say anything you want as long as it doesn't upset me. And, <laughs> you know, that's, that's not freedom of speech. You can't have it both ways. And it's such a, it's such a blessing and a, and a privilege and a right all at the same time to be able to have that. I just can't even imagine, especially with my work and what I do and, you know, I speak my mind <laughs> and, and, and to not be able yeah. to do that, I, I can't even imagine how horrific that must be. So your family, you guys left Hungary and you went all the way to Borneo, right? Which I didn't even know was in Malaysia. I had no idea. I thought Borneo was... Yeah, outside. actually, Borneo is, is divided between three countries. So uh-huh. there are two states of Malaysia, which is Sabah and Sarawak. I am in, I am in Sarawak. Then there is the tiny Sultanate of Brunei, you know, the, the very rich... <laughs> Oil Sultanate, and actually most of Borneo is called Kalimantan, which belongs to Indonesia. So actually, it's, it's you know divided between three countries. Yeah. Okay. Um, fair enough. So you guys, you guys moved out there, and it was. I mean, I can't even imagine a bigger contrast and culture shock between communist or the dictatorship in Hungary and then Borneo in in the rainforest. What was? It was it was unbelievable. I mean, one thing is like. And, and again, I think it's difficult for, for maybe younger people to imagine this, but I grew up, you know, before the internet, before cable television. And anyway, in, in you know, communism, we didn't have all, of the, all those things, you know. <laughs> so we had a very limited understanding of the world. So when it came to Borneo, for example, it was entirely, in, in my imagination, uh, it basically came from novels and pulp fiction books, you know. So to me, Borneo was the land of the headhunters, you know the Malayan tiger, you know? So it, it was just about the most exotic place you could go to, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was super excited. And I, honestly, I, I don't know if my parents really thought this true when they, when they decided <laughs> because it was just such a crazy jump, you know? And just to give an example of the immediate shock, um, I don't know if this ever happened to you, Nick, but imagine I, I grew up in a four season country. And the first time you step out of an aeroplane in a tropical country, right, the humidity hits you like a wall, you know? And I was like, Dad, I can't breathe. I I felt like I was in a sauna, you know? It was strange, so strange. So everything, the the smells, the, the air, everything was so different, you know? I remember, oh, man, palm trees, right? I had never seen a palm tree. Wow. You know how crazy is that, right? I mean, yeah. in, in you know, in Europe, you don't get palm trees, right? And I remember, I remember like, wow, you know, there are palm trees. And I remember there was one in front of my house and I was climbing on it. And okay, the funniest thing is this. The first time 
we experienced a tropical downpour, you know, a real like... Like a monsoon, yeah. Like a monsoon rain. Me and my brother, we ran out of the house in our shorts, half naked, and we started dancing in the rain, right? And I remember the neighbors looking at that, look at these bloody foreigners, you know, it's so crazy, right? But it was just such a revelation, you know, everything was so exciting and colorful and strange. So even though I grew up in a communist country, my parents did everything to to shelter us from the harshness of communism and dictatorship. Mm-hmm. So one of those things was that we traveled whenever we could, you know, like, um, of course, initially there were restrictions, like you could only go to other communist countries, mm-hmm. but as communism was getting a bit softer, you could basically go anywhere if the permission was granted. So but my um, first question that, that comes to mind when you, when you mention that is, how did your parents afford to do that uh, if they were living under communism? I mean, wouldn't they just be paid like a subsistence wage or mm. how did they manage to do that? Okay, so that's a that's a great question, actually, because that I can, you know, give another insight into how communism worked. So you see communism, because as you correctly point out, the salaries were very low and both of my parents were swimming coaches, which is not a, you know, not a glamorous job. Mm-hmm. But there was something called the black economy. Okay, Mm -hmm. so basically everyone does doing some kind of side hassle. (laughs) And yeah, and and so my parents, what they did was they were teaching swimming privately on the side. And they actually made really good money out of that. Yeah. So that that enabled us to to do these additional travels. Wow, that's that's fascinating. And just to show that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of that uh, expression in Jurassic Park, which is life finds a way. And I oh, guess, yeah. yeah, I mean, it shows a uh, capitalism. It isn't the best system, but it's it's the, the best one we have, right, on, on this planet. And, yeah. you know, people, free trade will emerge, even if you try to suppress it with a with artificial restrictions like like a communist society. That's That's absolutely wild to me. Yeah, so sorry, I've, I was going to say, because you also make a, make a good point about, um, you know, why capitalism worked, because also one of the things I, I saw in communism, which was so sad, that a lot of very talented people ended up either quitting or emigrating. Mm-hmm. We had a massive brain drain because the communist system puts those in charge who are largely incompetent, but are ideologically loyal. So that is how you get and move up in a communist system. You have to be basically a yes man and a good communist and not because you have the skills or the competence or the vision. So that was very sad to see. And and, and in a sense, my dad belonged to that class because, again, obviously I'm biased, he's my dad. But I really think that at the time, in his prime, he was one of the top swimming coaches in the country. And if he was in an open society... I guarantee he would be a national level coach. But because he never joined the Communist Party and because he had all those anti-communist views, the best he could do was he was teaching at a smallest swimming pool and, and, and do his private side business. You know? So this is the real tragedy, you know, is that a lot of great people were broken by the system. That's so interesting. You know, in America, the one of the big themes here is like everyone gets their shot. You know, like there's so many songs about it. Eminem's got a song about it. Like, you know, I've got one shot or take your shot. And to <laughs> think that that in a place like that, you don't even get a shot, right? It's just not even an option. You just have no way to to, to rise above or to express your talents. It's just 
I'm just so blessed to have not been born in a in a communist country. And I, I hope everyone listening to this, and I'm I'm pretty sure most of them aren't in communist countries. I hope they they realize that it's not something to be taken for granted and it's to be appreciated. Definitely. Yeah. So you're you're in the rainforest there, you're a little kid and and uh you know, having all these crazy experiences and learning and growing and your parents then decide to leave and go back to Hungary after several years, but you say, no, nah, this is for me. I'm, I'm staying. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's exactly what happened. And, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's such a strange thing because um, I think, was it, was it Steve Jobs who said that, you know, life only makes sense backwards, you know, kind of when you, when you look back and you connect the dots, like why something happens. Right. So I was really young when they left. I, I just barely turned 18, but okay. Truth be told, one of the biggest reasons I stayed was because I fell in love with a local girl. So, you know, as a, as a hormonally charged teenager, that was a major, that was a major pool. But I must also say that I, I found a deep connection with the place and mm -hmm. I remember my mom telling me this many, many years later, that apparently when we first came to, to Borneo, after a couple of weeks, I said something like, hey, mom, I, I feel I can, I can live here for good, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't know, somehow the place, you know, connected with me, you know? Sure. And, and it's kind of funny, Nick, because, you know, it sounds like a big decision, right? You, you know, you're 18, your parents leave and, and you... I'm, I'm on your own. But at the time, it, it didn't feel like, you know, it's such a big decision. You know, it was mm -hmm. just like the next logical thing to do, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I totally relate to what you described when I remember the first time I arrived in America, which is I was 13. I came here on a vacation mm -hmm. and I just said, I'm home. Like, I don't care what it takes. Like, I, you know, I want to I want to live here one day. And it took a long time, but um, I finally got you. And I, I know that I know that feeling very well. I appreciate you sharing that. So, cool. so yeah, I want to talk about um, one of the things you've helped me with. One of the main reasons I wanted to have you on the show is you're a, you're an expert in, in human communication, and you actually have a, a business in which you you help corporates with their with their communication strategies, if I'm not mistaken. And you send out this this newsletter once every week on communication, giving communication tips. And I'm going to be straight up. I, I don't really like newsletters. I generally don't sign up for them. Or if I do sign mm -hmm. up for them, I cancel them pretty quick because they're usually pretty spammy and they send way too many. And your newsletter, I actually look forward to. I get it once a week and I open it and I read it. And every time I've finished reading it, I've grown and I've gained new skills and new insights into the world of communication. So I know you're definitely onto something. I think communication is a, an absolutely vital and underlooked skill that, that can be developed. One of the tycoons of the early uh, 20th century, Andrew Carnegie, I think his name was, yeah. the steel tycoon, he made a statement uh, which always stuck with me, which is that 90% of your success in any job or career is your ability to deal with people, which again is largely hmm. a function of communication. Yeah, so I'd love to hear a little bit, Firstly, of how you got onto this career path of becoming a communication expert. And then secondly, maybe if you could give the listeners some tips on how to, to quickly and effectively improve how they communicate. Yeah, sure. And, and by the way, thank you for the, for the nice uh, words on my, on my newsletter. So, okay, again, this communication was something that I think came, uh, I had like a natural attraction 
Um, since I can remember, I, I was fascinated by speeches. I mean, public speeches. You know, even when I was a little kid, I remember watching, uh, well, I guess mostly communist politicians. But I mean, even famous people, Martin Luther King, you know, JFK. I was just mesmerized by their ability to, to use words to move people. And so when I went to university, I took up uh, competitive debating, which is, it's not a very popular thing, but it's a very intense but probably you can call it a sport, but it's like a game where you take a topic and um, let's say, for example, that the death penalty should be legalized, okay? And then the government would have to argue for the topic and the opposition would have to argue against it. So for years, I was consumed by this. And, and even after I, after I was done as a, as a competitor, I, I, I became a coach and I became a trainer. So I always had this fascination. And I think that, Probably the reason is because I, and, and I mean, this is one of my fundamental you know, beliefs about communication is that this is the only link we have between ourselves and another human being are actually words that come out of our mouth. And the relationship is framed in terms of these words. And, you know, we don't really think about that, but, but, but that is really all we have, our conversations. And if you think about your relationship with anyone, why do you like being with somebody? It has to do a lot with the communication that is going on between you and him or you and her. You know what I mean? You know, the classic example is, you know, the guys who, who, who married a beautiful girl and very soon they realize that, okay, we have nothing to talk about and this thing is not going to work, you know? Sure. So it is such a primal and really the only tool we have to connect with each other. Yeah. I'm reminded of uh, a book which massively influenced the way I approach my romantic relationship, which is called The Five Love Languages. I'm not sure mm. if you're familiar with it, but yep. Yep. The, really the premise of the book for those listening is that people receive and give love in completely different modalities. Uh, and there's five of them, obviously. And one of them is quality conversation. And I know that, for example, my wife is someone like quality conversation is definitely one of her love languages. And if we have a good conversation, it really improves our bonding, you know? And, and I think a lot of people have that one that I noticed there's many friends I have when I've spent time with them and we've had these good, rigorous intellectual, not so much debates, but more like um, discourses or discussions mm -hmm. on topics you know, afterwards I, I feel closer to them. I'm like, yeah, man, that's cool. We really bonded over that. So I, I totally get what you're saying. And yeah, coming back to that second part, I mean, it, let's say someone listening to this realizes the, the need to improve their communication. What, where would be a good place to start? Yeah. So first of all, I think we have to become what I refer to as conscious communicators. So and I think this is something I have, you know, written about in one of my newsletters is that most of the time we, we communicate out of habit, right? You know, and, and it's not something, unfortunately, we are not trained to communicate either in school or, or even by our parents. So communication is something we, we pick up through osmosis and we pick up good things, you know, but we also pick up a lot of the bad habits, which, which actually hamper us. So my first advice would be become a conscious communicator. What that means is think about and reflect on the way you communicate. 
So that is actually something very simple. Like, um, you know, let's say we, we are having this conversation and, and after I have this conversation, I'm, I'm going to spend a couple of minutes thinking about how it went, you know, what, what went well, what could I have done better? And, and that in itself, reflecting on, on, on what is happening uh, when you are communicating with somebody, that will give you insights, you know, that will, will you know, definitely improve. So that's, so that's one. Secondly, think about what are you trying to accomplish when you communicate? So I think, I think a lot of the time, and again, this is linked to communication being, being habitual, is that we are, not, um, we are not clear on our purpose before we start speaking to somebody. And, and we, are not, we are not setting ourselves up with the right mindset when we communicate with somebody. So I think, I think reflecting on what we are trying to accomplish through communication. Am I trying to pass on information? Am I trying to support somebody? Am I just trying to be funny? You know, having clarity on that um, also helps a lot. Uh, the third thing I would say is that actually consciously training these skills. So again, going back to schools, like, you know, to me, it is an unfortunate thing that it is not a subject. Communication should be a subject. Sure. You know, starting from primary school, you know, and yes, we have English or you have the local language, but that's not the same because when you, if you think about it, I think in, in, when you went to school, was it, was it English, Nick, that you were? Yeah, no, I, my schooling was all in English, yeah. Okay. So, so if you think about your standard English education, right, um, whether in the US or, you know, Britain, you will have English classes, but what you're really learning is writing academic essays, you know, <laughs> and, and, and when, when are you using that? Like in the real life, I mean, except if you become an academician, you don't, right? So we have to make up for that, for the lack of education. And as you mentioned, by reading books and, you know, there is so much of stuff on the internet there. And of course, seeking out, you know, teachers, taking courses, right? That is all part of the process. And as you have mentioned, to me, when you elevate your communication skills, it is the tide that lifts all your boats, you know? It's basically the game changer. I mean, um, you know, just to give you one example from my work, I have an upcoming assignment where I have to teach engineers how to communicate well. And these guys are bloody brilliant, you know? <laughs> they design, you know, solar panels, but they are struggling, you know, because they don't have the skills to, to transmit all that knowledge and their work is suffering because of that. Yeah, so, I actually, now that you mentioned that, my wife wrote me into watching this show on Netflix called Love on the Spectrum, which is mm-hmm. a dating show for people on the autism spectrum, which not not usually the kind of thing I'd usually watch, but... Um, you know, what we watched it was actually very endearing and very informative. And you could see that these people, some of them are literally intellectually brilliant, truly brilliant. But there was this gulf in their communication ability that like it was a divide. They literally could not get across. So there would be a guy or this guy and this girl, for example, go on this date and they're sitting across from each other and they want to talk to each other. They want to form a bond. They want to form a connection, but they literally just could not do it. They, they literally did not have the skills to do it. And I just, I was blown away by the fact that that was another thing that a lot of us take for granted. And then I started to think to myself, well, if their communication ability is, let's say, and, and this is an arbitrary scale, if ours, if we take a scale of one to 10, 
And we put their communication ability at like a two or a three and the average human being's communication ability at like a, a seven or an eight or if they're exceptionally good, a nine or a 10. What if we had human beings on the planet who were an order of magnitude above normal human beings' ability to communicate, or possessed a skill that was to, to ours what ours is to theirs? I just thought that would be fascinating. I mean, do you think that's a possibility? Do you think that exists? I mean, I hope it does. I think I think it does. And I completely agree with you that, you know, just moving the dial one up, you know, you, you used to be a five and you are a six now or mm-hmm. six or seven. It, it's That's massive. like 20% better. Yeah. Exactly. It's huge. It's huge, right? And, yeah. and honestly, it doesn't, you know, it's not difficult. You know, this is not rocket science, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the great things about improving communication skills is that it's not hard. I have seen, I have worked with people who, who were probably on the spectrum, you know, mm-hmm. and with a bit of focus, with a bit, bit of course, dedication and with practice, they got so much better. So I think, I think that so much of suffering, um, you know, comes from actually communication problems. And, and of course, I'm not undermining other sources of suffering, but mm-hmm. what I mean is especially in interpersonal relationships, um, and also in the corporate context, and well, even in politics, you know, people are speaking at each other. And, and this is just to link to Nick what you said earlier about this this issue of, you know, what I I don't even want you to say anything because you're going to hurt me, or your <laughs> words are painful. You know, yeah. that actually comes from a lack of ability to, to truly communicate and to understand that people are sh- taught and ideas are, are, are to be shared and they are not, they are not weapons. And, and we have to develop an ability to deal with them even if we find them hurtful, even if we disagree with them. And yes, absolutely. So again, to, to return to your point, you know, I am an optimist. I'm an optimist. And I think that if we can move the dial on that, it will be a better world. It will be sure. a better world in so many ways. And- and this work is, it's so important now, more, or it's more important now than ever because of the method in which we communicate or the vehicle that we use to communicate, like you know, mm-hmm. text and email and, and online messaging. I know I had a, a relationship that broke down because we primarily communicated over email and, and, and text, right? And that's, mm-hmm. sure, you can definitely improve that, you know, with, with techniques, but it just, it pales in comparison to face-to-face and even voice-only communication. And that's one of the, the themes that I adopted this year, actually, was that I'm always going to try to have a voice conversation with someone mm-hmm. first before we speak through text or email. That's my preferred go-to because there's just so much that gets lost in the translation onto a screen. Absolutely. And I think that we have now so many channels to to communicate with. And, and I think what, what we have come to realize that if we are to pick the most effective one, you know, face-to-face is still, is still king. That's what our brains evolved to. And um, I completely agree with you. The, you see, the, the challenges of text communication and email communication is that you don't see the body language. Mm. And, you know, th- th- there has been a lot of research on this. And, I mean, the research itself is, is uh, you know, a little bit controversial, but... I think what most communication experts agree on is that we derive 70 to 80% of the meaning from the body language hmm. of the people we are speaking to. So it's not really the words that matter. It is, it is the voice, it is the gestures, 
it is the body. And this is why it's so easy to misunderstand people over text or email because there is no context. And a sentence like, give this to me or, or give that to me can be interpreted as being bossy to all the way to, to being playful when we say it face to face, right? But in text, it's just the same, right? <laughs> So that's so that's the challenge is is that is that the body is absent. So I think I think if anything uh, that you know this whole pandemic thing showed us is you know face to face is is still king. Like if if we can do it face to face, if you want to form a real connection with somebody, you have to see them in the flesh. You know. Sure. And then of course if you can, then you have you know video and voice and then voice. So that that then you go at the lower levels. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. One of the things I got from your newsletter, which it's probably the, the tip that has stuck out the most for me is to continually be asking while you're in, engaged in a conversation with someone, while you're listening to them, what am I not hearing? Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd love to know how you came upon that piece of, of wisdom, because that has very much changed in a short time, uh, my communication and specifically the way I listen to people. Okay, so I think I, I, I wish I could give specific credit to, to where I read that. I want to be honest with you. I, I either read it somewhere or I heard it on a podcast, but I can't. I can. I can't give credit to a person who wrote this. But it really jumped out at me in the same way it jumped out at you. Is because words are very imprecise, right? We are. We have thoughts in our mind. We have. We have emotions, and then we, and then we put them. And you know, unless you have a very open relationship with somebody, they are not going to tell you everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, basically this is what we say, reading between the lines. Mm-hmm. And real great communicators, and, and if we want to have great relationship with people, we have to be able to, to pick up on those little things like, okay, they are saying something, but they are not saying sure. everything. And then yeah. maybe, you know, prod them a little bit or listen a little bit more, you know? Mm-hmm. And that is, that is beautiful, but it requires patience. And... The thing is, because we are self-centered creatures, right? We, we tend to, uh, and you know, this is one of the, you know, the problems with communication is when we're speaking to somebody, we tend to think about what do I want to say next instead of focusing on what is being communicated to you, right? Mm. So that, that creates that blind spot, really, where we miss, you know, maybe the full meaning or, or, or we are missing something. So, so to me, that's, that's definitely one of the keys of becoming a great communicator is is to say, you know, what am I missing? What am I not hearing here? Which is largely a function of, of how present you are with the other person. You know, I've, I've noticed that when a, interactions usually go well, when I give that person my undivided total focus, <laughs> you know, there's this, in our society, that's becoming such a rare thing. I, I have this rule with myself. If I'm with a human being, I don't touch my phone. Right. And if I have to touch my phone because I get an idea while I'm talking to them, they've given me some information that I need to act upon. I'll say to him, please excuse me for a minute while I send this text message or while I do whatever, add this note to my note taking app. And I'll do that. I'll take that action. And then I'll put the phone away again. And I'll I'll actually apologize because I've said this many times on the podcast before, but it's such an important thing for people to understand when you pull out your phone, when you're in a conversation or when you're in the presence of someone when you're talk, that you're talking to, 
to me, it sends a very clear message that whatever is on the other end of this phone is more important than you, right? And, you know, people pick up on that quickly, whether you, whether you mean that or not, that's what they feel, right? That's what you're, that's what's not being said by you. It's, it's, that's, what's being implied. And, um, that comes back to the idea of if you're playing on your phone, you're not present, right? You're not there with them. You're not there looking them in the eye. You're not there actively listening, trying to figure out what message they're trying to impart to you. Just kind of, you're half in it, right? You know, you're half in that conversation and that it never leads to good results in my experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think, um, you know, again, we are working against the tide because what what the whole smartphone has done to our attention is that it has made us, uh, you know, reduced our ability to focus significantly. And I think it's it's so important that we fight against that urge, you know. And and I actually heard this research somewhere that even when your phone is in your pocket and you are in a meeting, it actually reduces your ability to focus. So even the mere presence of the phone, when you're talking to somebody, you are not looking at the phone, right? Maybe the phone is on the table. Even that takes away our presence because in the back of our mind, we know that there might be something exciting on that thing, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really, really crazy. And, and it is a battle. But again, if you're conscious of it, we, we can fight against it. I really so, believe that the the most valuable commodity of the 21st century is attention. Hmm. And it, because we are being trained as a species, especially in, in more developed nations, we're being trained to only be able to, well, to have very short attention spans and to be only, only be able to concentrate in very limited little chunks of time and focus. And those who are able to overcome that and learn how to concentrate and learn how to focus their attention for extended periods are going to be the ones who rise to the top in any endeavor. And then you couple that with improved communication skills and you have, you know, huge advantage in, in the world. Speaking of which is a, a book that I highly recommend called Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. If you mm. haven't read that, I think you'll get a lot out of that. His, his work is yeah. very, very good. It's been yeah. on my reading list. I read his previous work, uh, Deep Work, Deep work, yeah. Very similar themes in both of those books. I definitely want to read that. But yeah, I I completely agree. And again, going back to education, I think if I I was in charge of designing a a curriculum for for kids, right, I would have, you know, attention training and communication skills right up there, exactly Mm -hmm. for the reasons you mentioned. Because, you know, the ability to, to, you know, focus for long periods of time or at least longer than others... Uh, and the ability to communicate clearly and effectively, you know, that is a killer combination. And, and, sure. and I think that you know, the future is open for people with those sort of skills, definitely. Yeah, totally agree. Ivan, very illuminating speaking to you. I know there's a whole part of your life that we didn't get into, which is when you were a reality TV star. Um, <laughs> so we'll save, we'll save that one for the next it's conversation. <laughs> but if, if the listeners want to get in touch with you or uh, find out more about your work or sign up to your fantastic newsletter, where should they, where should they go? So uh, the best way to get in touch is through my Facebook where I'm most active at. So just search up Ivan Avetovich and send me a private message and I will hook you up on my mailing list. And if you want to find out more about my background and the kind of work I do, uh, you can go to www.ivanavetovich.com. 
Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Ivan. Really appreciate you. It was my pleasure. Same here, brother. Thanks for everything. You know, this is the kind of stuff I love. I want practical, actionable uh, advice from people that I'm that I'm learning from or that I'm studying. You know, it's it's all very well having some ethereal concepts and um, some some concepts and, and high level theory, but I want stuff that I know is going to work in the real world. And a lot of these tips that we discussed in the show, I've already started using and noticed improvements in my communication. So I really recommend if you want to master that aspect of your life and to fulfill your potential, you absolutely have to master that aspect of your life. Communication is essential in in all areas. In fact, I once read many years ago that Andrew Carnegie, the steel baron, multi, multi-millionaire, he'd be a multi-billionaire, probably the most successful man ever in today's terms. One of the things he said that um, I read when I was younger that always stuck with me is that 90% of your success in any job is your ability to connect with people or to communicate with people. And Ivan's stuff will definitely help you do that. Last little reminder, if you guys want to join the or are interested in the Conscious Relationships course with Rocco and myself, head on over to support or send an email to support at liberationmentor.com. If you want to join my mastermind, head on over to liberationmentor.com, click on work with me, and then you can click on the mastermind. And if you want a free copy of my book, head on over to liberationmentor.com forward slash book. That's not going to last forever. And I guarantee you guys, you'll enjoy it if you read it. Until next time, peace out.